Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. All right, so thank you for tuning in to Jump of the Bit. I am Kyle Edwards, of course, and um, hope you're doing well. You know, hope you're having a great day. And this episode, I'm going to talk about the NBA as the season, well, the regular season comes to an end on Sunday, which then leads into the play-in tournament, which starts on Tuesday. But I'll talk about the play-in tournament more probably early next week. But I kind of just want to look at the end of the regular season. Uh, I guess like the standings and possible playoff matchups and how interesting that may look. Now I will, I guess, briefly talk playing on this just for, you know, letting you know the teams that are in it and I guess what may be interesting about it or whatever. But, you know, we'll just see kind of where the episode goes and the direction I go in. But before we get into that, you know, just had to say real quick, um, I don't know if you saw the, you know, breaking news on ESPN or whatever, but uh, I guess late, well, yesterday, or it was early Saturday morning, um, Dwayne Haskins was working out South Florida with, you know, Pittsburgh Steelers teammates and all that kind of stuff, and Unfortunately, you know, he was hit by a car and he lost his life. And, you know, of course, taking like, you know, the sports element out of it, you know, for a guy that was only 24 years old. I mean, it's it's tough news to hear because I guess now bringing it back to the sports aspect of it. You know, he was drafted out of Ohio State. Came with a lot of promise, had a couple of rough years in Washington, and whatever the reason may have been, didn't work out there. Uh, he signed the deal with the Steelers, and it seemed like with Tomlin and those guys in Pittsburgh, with Ben Roethlisberger moving on, you know, Haskins was in play for the starting job with Mitch Trubisky and um, uh, who was the other guy they have there? Mason Rudolph, that's who it is. So, though it seemed like he was uh, in a good position to, you know, have a second chance in a new environment and hopefully realize the potential that he had. But, unfortunately, life taken away much too soon. So, I just want to start it off by saying, you know, um, thoughts and prayers go to his family and all that. And... I mean, it's tough, but like I said, just want to say that before I got into the episode. So, like I said, if you hadn't heard, you know, Dwayne Haskins, Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback, uh, was killed. So it was Saturday morning, got struck by a vehicle 
after his workout down in South Florida. All right, so with that, um, go ahead and get into the purpose of the episode. Like I said, talking about the NBA and looking at the regular season coming to an end, you know, standings-wise, I mean, for the most part, we know the six playoff teams in each conference right now, and we know the four playing tournament teams in each conference as well. There can still be a little bit of jockeying for position, uh, but for right now, basically, the Heat will most likely win the East, and I mean, the Suns won the West like weeks ago, so that we know. Uh, we know like Memphis is going to be the two seed out West, which is going to play an interesting part uh, here in a second. Um, Golden State, Dallas will be 3-4 in whatever order. Then you have Utah, Denver, 5-6, whichever order as they're tied right now. East, like I said, Milwaukee, Boston, and Philly. Those three teams can finish anywhere from two to four. That's still up in the air. Uh, I mean, it looks like the Bucks will probably be the two seed. Celtics most likely would be the three because Philly has a back-to-back, and they have to. Philly would have to win both sides of the back-to-back to leap the Celtics. And with the Celtics playing Memphis on Sunday. Memphis is already locked into the two seed, so that game's probably going to be a bunch of bench guys playing. And the Celtics will know by then whether they need to win the game for the three seed and all this kind of stuff. So that's going to be a game that's going to be worth watching to see if there's still any importance there. And Raptors, who, along with the Celtics, probably the hottest team in the East as for most of this year, the Raptors were seen as a lock for a playing team, but they've blown past uh, Charlotte, Atlanta, Cleveland, Brooklyn, and now Chicago, where Toronto's now safely in as the five seed. And we've, we've been hearing some reports from some teams about you know vaccination statuses in terms of playing in Toronto because Canada's rules, whatever. And I mean, we know, I guess, Matisse Thibel for the Sixers is unvaccinated. So, as it stands right now, Philly would play Toronto in the first round series. This means Thibel could only play in Philly. But, I mean, Thibel isn't, it's not like it's Joel Embiid. So, Philly should feel comfortable with that. But, Philly does have their own issues because... James Harden I mean this is one of the several reasons why I'm not a big James Harden fan but now we're starting to see a lot of people pointing to his performance in the past few games and trying to figure out what's wrong with him and I think I heard somebody bring up that you know maybe he's not feeling it in Philly or whatever and it just makes me roll my eyes because we keep getting these guys who you know, media people and all stuff make superstars and now they feel like they're in positions to call their shots wherever they go 
James Harden, you know, coming out of college was the Oklahoma City with that great young group, KD, Russ, Ibaka, stuff like that. Didn't happen. Didn't work there. You know, he's been to Houston where he played with like Chris Paul, Dwight Howard, guys like that. Didn't work there. Worked his way out. Um, you know, the whole thing where he like put on weight or whatever. Gets to Brooklyn. From all that we were told, Brooklyn was where he wanted to be until he didn't want to be there. Now he gets to Philly. They first get there. They win a few. They win a couple of games against trash teams. And then it's like, oh, I'm just here with Joel Embiid. We're going to do the do. But now that they've struggled against good teams, all of a sudden people are saying that he he's maybe not feeling it as much. Uh, I think there was a loss where Doc Rivers made a comment and people were like, he was directing that towards James Harden, which he didn't like. And I'm just like, look, for a guy in James Harden who, for all of his offensive prowess, I guess, even though a lot of that is skewed because with older rules in the NBA, James Harden took full advantage of a lot of the flopping that was allowed by him and some other guys on offense where he could go to the free throw line, you know, like 20 times a night and pad his point total. But what we're seeing is on a lot of nights when that doesn't work for him, he's kind of shoots a poor percentage. Now, on those nights when he's hitting from the outside, yes, he's a tough guy to play against. But it seems like more often than not now, you know, teams that dedicate a guy defensively to him, you can take Harden out of his game pretty easily now. He's not that guy from from Oklahoma City who would come in off the bench, you know, blow by guys, get to the rim, dunk and all that kind of stuff. That's not him. Hasn't been him for a couple of years now. Now he's more of a, you kick it to him on the wing, the you know, ball pretty much stops there with him for a little bit, does some stuff between his legs, step back kind of stuff. And since he's not as proficient with that, you're starting to see the struggles that usually happen to him come playoff time. So now a team in Philly where remember when it was just Embiid and all these questions about Ben Simmons, a lot of people were like, yo, they think Philly could put it together because of how dominant Joel Embiid was. But now you added in Harden and some people out there said that they were going to be the new Shaq and Kobe, which was stupid to begin with. But now we're seeing why Harden hasn't had the playoff success that a lot of people would assume he would have had, would have had based on his ability offensively. So Philly is a team that if they go up against Toronto, would I be shocked if Toronto upset them in the first round? I guess that'd have to be a little bit because if you look at Toronto, Toronto is a smaller team and you would think Joel Embiid would dominate down low against them. But we have seen Embiid at times in almost like a defiant type of way, completely disregard the low post and chill on the perimeter. If he does that against a team like Toronto, that's going to sway the series in a big way in Toronto's favor. Because where Toronto has the upper hand on 
on Philly is they have a lot of guys that are I mean you watch the Toronto plays it seems like their whole lineup is like between 6-6 and 6-9 except for Fred Van Vliet who's a short guy but they have a lot of guys who you know positionally defensively they can switch a lot and feel fine with everything that's what I'm saying with Embiid if he plays down low that gives them a big problem but like I said Embiid can hover around the outside a lot so that's going to be something interesting to watch Um, Boston like I said if it comes down to the point where Sunday's game matters to them if they win they can get the two seed do they go for it and risk which I put in quotes because a lot of people you know with the teams in Miami Milwaukee Boston may you know have been putting out there that you don't want to see Brooklyn in the first round which I guess because you know with Kevin Durant Kyrie both being offensively gifted you know that you're in for a tough series against those two because if you struggle someone offensively Durant's the type who could turn around and drop 50 and make the game much closer and a series much closer than maybe you know it should be or could be because for as great as Brooklyn has the potential to be offensively defensively they're kind of a mess right now so um, if I am a Miami, Milwaukee or Boston I think Milwaukee or Boston more so I don't think the thought of Brooklyn as a potential first round series is that big of a deal because Milwaukee and Boston can both play defensively and both have guys who have enough length and athleticism to, you know, cover a Durant and not necessarily shut him down, but at least make it difficult for him. That's the biggest thing when you come play against Brooklyn. You know, Milwaukee, you clearly have a Giannis who can go out there and, you know, harass Durant. Uh, You also have Middleton who can, you know, defend against him. With Kyrie, you have a Drew Holiday. And for Boston, when you're going up against Durant, you have Tatum, Brown, Kyrie, you have Marcus Smart, uh, even Peyton Pritchard coming off the bench. So, uh, like I said, you may not necessarily shut those two down, but the key for being Brooklyn is limit the effect of the other guy. So you can't let a Patty Mills go off for, you know, 15, 18, 20 points where he's knocking down open threes. You can't let that happen. Um, uh, let me see who else. I mean, there's some guys like, you know, Cam Thomas, who, you know, young guy off the bench. In a series, he can probably give you like a game where he goes out of his mind and could drop, you know, 15, 18 for you. And I think the question, like I said, with Brooklyn's going to be secondary scoring outside of Durant and Kyrie, who can they depend on? And. You know, what teams would give them the biggest trouble? Uh, You got Chicago, who's now the sixth seed and seems like they're in 
a place where you know they kind of I think they've lost confidence from earlier in the season where they were doing so well looking like a you know top three team in the east and then it seemed like with the Caruso injury something completely changed in them uh Lonzo Ball as well factors into that because they brought in those two guys to be wing like depth defensively so that you can free up Levine and DeRozan to kind of play freely on offense and not have to worry about turning around and guarding a uh, Tatum, a Brown, a Butler, you know, something like that. So Chicago's free falling, but luckily there's not like another week or two left in the season because they would be a team that easily would have fallen into the play-in tournament and probably a team like Brooklyn would have found their way out swapping with Chicago. Um, So like I said, playing, you have Brooklyn, Cleveland, Atlanta, Charlotte. I mean, Cleveland was such a feel-good story early in the year. But now the wheels have completely fallen off on that team. And it looks like, I mean, they look like a team that, you know, right now they play Brooklyn in the like first leg of the play-in. You would probably pick Brooklyn in that matchup. So Brooklyn will probably be the seventh seed. And then you're looking at Cleveland against Atlanta or Charlotte. you would probably take Atlanta or Charlotte against Cleveland, unfortunately. Because like I said, it was a great story with Cleveland early on, but they had their own injury issues. And, and, you know, that's not to take anything away from their season because for them, this was kind of a... This is not kind of. This is like a major building block for them because, you know, Cleveland was seen as a city, was a team, an organization that... You know, people were saying they can't put a winner together without LeBron James. So now this season, you know, I guess all those years of futility, you know, the draft picks and all that kind of stuff, you know, finally worked out. You know, they have Evan Mobley, who's a young guy with them, with them, uh, Darius Garland. They had their big free agent splash with Jared Allen, who's, who was a you know big part of their season. Uh, I know he got injured a couple weeks ago. I don't think he's back yet. At least I don't think so. But um, they are an interesting team, though. You know, who's to say for the play-in format they can't put together what well, they were to upset of Brooklyn get into the playoffs that way? But even if they lost to Brooklyn, if they couldn't put it together for one night against Atlanta or Charlotte and get their way into the into the regular playoff bracket I wouldn't be surprised by it and that's the thing with those four teams I guess the only team if you're looking at Brooklyn Cleveland Atlanta Charlotte the only team that if they didn't come out of that play and that would be a surprise would be Brooklyn like I said Durant Kyrie are the best two players out of those four teams so you would think they would have the easiest chance of coming out of that um I mean, Atlanta versus Charlotte, if that happens to be the 9-10 matchup, would be an interesting game for me. But like I said, break down the matchups more next week 
before the playing tournament happens on Tuesday. That way we'll know who's actually playing who. Uh, looking out west real quick, like I said, Phoenix overwhelmingly is the best team out west. And you'd have to say best team in the league right now. And, um, you know, what they did without Chris Paul, give them a lot of credit. They kept the train moving. They kept the dominance up. Now that Chris Paul's back, you know, you have to be thinking about them making another run at the uh, Larry O'Brien trophy. You know, hopefully this time, if they were to get back there, you know, they would be able to win it because we know so many times in sports, you lose in a championship uh, aspect one year. It's just so different to, I mean, so difficult to get back there the following year. And like I said, Phoenix is the odds on favorite to come out of the West, obviously. Uh, Memphis is a team that, you know, you have to root for. They're a young group that's come together. Uh, they played like 25 games, I think, without John Morant, and they've gone like 20 and 5 without him. And a lot of people were wondering with Morant going down, what would that do to such a young group? But. They have been able to put wins together. They put together quality wins without him. So you would have to pin them as obviously the second best team in the West. But that's not to say it's going to be an easy road for them because we know uh, Golden State, who's dealing with injuries right now with Steph Curry, uh, who's probably going to be back. Uh, We already know that James Wiseman isn't coming back, which is I guess depending on who they would play in the West would be a big deal, but if Golden State can get, you know, Curry, Clay, Curry and Clay, basically, if they get those two going at the same time, Golden State becomes that much more of a dangerous team. Because with this time, especially with the well, actually with most of the season where all three of those guys were never on the court together, we've seen the growth of guys like Jordan Poole and Peyton Jr. and all that. So uh, they, those guys were basically thrust into bigger roles than probably Steve Kerr would have had for them. But with that, gives them confidence that in a playoff series, if uh, Curry and Thompson are struggling from the perimeter or struggling to make baskets in general, they can hopefully, you know, lean on pool and those type of guys to come in and give them a spark. They got like Dallas. How powerful is Cox Internet? So powerful that one day your daughter will be able to simulate a soccer match against some of the world's best players right from your backyard. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Internet delivered through Cox's hybrid fiber coax network. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions apply. Why? Why? If you have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 
well, I gotta say, has been a little bit of a surprise because when you go up against Dallas, you already know what you're in for, and that's you know Doncic being ball dominant, being the main guy because he has to be with no uh, secondary star there right now. I mean, his second best player is probably Dinwiddie, and uh, they're gonna pick and roll you to death because. With that, Doncic can either get to the rim if you sag off of him, if you try to fight over the screen. Uh, he can do the same. I guess I was trying to say if you sag off of the screen, he can step back, hit a three. You try to, you know, double him off of this pick. He's got great vision and great passing ability. He can throw a lob to a Dwight Powell or whoever who set the screen. Or... If you rotate too far, he can find Finney Smith in the corner or Dinwiddie or whatever. So Doncic is just uh, you know big headache to deal with, deal with because he's so skilled on the ball and has great vision and is a great playmaker and all that. Biggest question for Dallas, I guess, would have to be matchups. I mean, right now they'd be matched up against Utah. Will be Utah or Denver? If it was Denver, that would be interesting. You'd get uh, the Joker versus Doncic. Great matchup. Uh, two guys who were in the MVP conversation. I mean, at least to me, they'd have to be. And uh, like, like I said, with a team like Utah. I think for Utah, this is going to be a probably final stand with this current group. And by current group, I'm talking about, you know, the Quinn Snyder, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert trio. At least for me, before this season, I feel like that group, well, I guess we'll take Quinn Snyder out of it. We'll look at, I guess, Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell pairing. I think the two of them have kind of run its course. They're going to, you know, every year be four or five seed win you about 50 games. But to me, those two are never going to be a duo where they go into the playoffs. I'm going to be like, that's a team that's a title contender. Only because offensively, Rudy Gobert doesn't really give you much other than offensive rebounding, which is a big part of the game. Don't get me wrong, but a lot of times that means offensively Donovan Mitchell controls the ball and when games get tight late it becomes Donovan Mitchell going one on five against you know the opposing team trying to make step back threes or deep threes or you know tough fall away jumpers you know deep twos that type of thing and if he's not making them because there are times where he can hit those shots and is demoralizing but he's not hitting those then it puts so much pressure on Utah to be perfect defensively to keep the game I guess scoring low enough that if Mitchell's off a little bit you're giving him a longer period of time to find his shot now they do have offensive players that can hurt you Jordan Clarkson who is your classic bench guy with the green light because coming off the bench he's your best scorer that can help you but also hurt you a lot 
because he's a guy who if he's off he could go through like a five minute stretch where he'll take like eight shots brick them all and now your whole offensive flow has been killed like i said if he's on great they have royce o'neill who is a deep threat he's also the guy who takes on usually the toughest wing defensive assignment so you know he expands a lot of energy on the defensive end of the floor but he is a guy like i said if mitchell you know gets too much attention offensively he can kick it out to o'neill and o'neill can knock down a three-point shot so like i said this is a team that if they were to go against dallas in the first round lose i think you would have to see changes in the offseason and whether that's I mean, I don't know. Do you look at trading Gobert? What do you get for Gobert? Do you do the unthinkable and move on from Donovan Mitchell? Do you maybe take some of those secondary pieces and hopefully put them together for a deal for like a third star, even though I think the super team three star thing is kind of dying because a lot of teams are being hamstrung by those three that they can't put enough pieces around them. So I think we're going back more to a system in the NBA where you have great duos in places. Cause you look at Booker, Paul, Phoenix, um, golden state. You'd have Clay and Steph, you know, Draymond is a big name in the league, but I don't, think people look at him on the same level as those two even though he's very important to Golden State so maybe that's kind of a formula Utah goes with where they have Gobert Mitchell well actually take that back Gobert's okay let me see how to put this so for Utah I think for me for them to get to that next level if you look at Donovan Mitchell as Steph they need to find the clay to Steph and move Gobert down to the Draymond Green on their team. Who that person is, I don't know right now. But that's one way Utah can go. So it would be interesting to see which way they decide to go with it. Um, I mean, could Utah put together a package to send to Washington for Bradley Beal? I don't know. Um, who's another guy that you know could get moved for the right price? I don't know. Beal was just the name that came to my head right away. But that's the type of thing I think Utah would need to find for them to get to the next level. If they can't find that, then they would have to break up the Gobert-Mitchell dynamic and start over with player X to replace one of them. My guess would be they would try to move Gobert and keep Mitchell, but that's just me. Uh, Denver, like I said, what is there to say about Denver? It's the Jokic show because there's no Jamal Murray. There's no Michael Porter Jr. If they had those two, I mean, they would they'd probably be higher up in the Western standings, number one. Number two, they would probably have been my biggest threat to Phoenix. But unfortunately, without those two, I just can't, you know, really say much about them right now. But that's not to say that with Jokic's ability to give you like a 
couple of nights where he can you know put up 30 15 and 12 it's not to say they can't upset some team in the first round so they I mean they will be a fun team to watch for sure um, the pressure of course is going to be on Aaron Gordon to be to elevate his game come the playoffs or um, Will Barton you know guys like they have talented players there it's just that Jamal Murray injury is it's just it's just killing them right now and hopefully he can come back at some point uh whether he could you know miraculously do it this year or if he comes back next year hopefully he can have a healthy season next year but I would love to see you know this version of Jokic paired with the bubble version of Jamal Murray get that going for a couple of years and see what happens I think magic could be made there uh, West playing tournament you know you have Minnesota the Timberwolves great story there as it seems like they finally have figured it out after several years of you know ineffectiveness and lottery picks and all that uh, you got the Clippers who manage their season without Kawhi Leonard Paul George, most of it as Paul George is back now. You see the effect there. Uh, he's raised their defensive level, and he gives them a legitimate number one guy. So they're a team that you know could make it difficult for one of the top seeds in the world. I guess right now they literally would be seven or eight. So Phoenix and Memphis. If I was the Clippers, you would want to see Memphis, which would mean they would have to win their first playing game to get them that to get the seventh seed. Take your chances with Memphis and just hope that Paul George outshines John Morant. Um, and then you have then you have the Pelicans and the Spurs as your last two teams in the playing. Uh, for the Pelicans, you know, no Zion all year. They put it together. I mean, yes, they're uh, eight games under 500 right now. Not your typical playoff team, but hey, they made the playing tournament. It's there to give more teams opportunity. There you go. Uh, the Spurs. I mean, they're the Spurs. They were not planning on competing this year, but because of certain circumstances with a certain team in LA that I won't, that I'm avoiding talking about on this episode. They found the opportunity to get back into the playing tournament, took full advantage of it, and you got to give them credit for it. They have a rising star, DeJounte Murray, so it would be great to see him in a play-in tournament-type system where see if he can put together back-to-back games, get San Antonio into the playoffs, and then probably get annihilated by Phoenix, but at least get him on a playoff stage. That's what it is, you know, with these younger teams, Pelicans, Spurs, well, not necessarily younger teams, but inexperienced teams in terms of playoffs, get them in, even if they get demolished by Phoenix or Memphis or whatever, get them there, then catapult that to next year, hopefully build off of it. But, um, but yeah, so that's makes my quick rundown right there of where we stand right now with just 
Oh, just this weekend left in the regular season, and then the playoffs will be finally here. Um, like I said, before the playing tournament, obviously we'll talk about that more, and then we will know playoff matchups after that. So that will be an interesting thing to see who matches up with who, um, which teams come out of the play-in, which ones will have the biggest threat to one of the top seeds in the East or the West. Um, obviously looking at Brooklyn for the East and I think with Paul George back, well, actually Memphis and I mean, not Memphis, Minnesota and the Clippers could give top teams a hard time. Minnesota with their youth and athleticism and Carl Anthony Towns being a big man that not a lot of teams really have big men to, to necessarily cover him because of his ability to stretch the floor as well as you know be a you know, problem down low and like I said with the Clippers they're a completely different team now with Paul George back of course they would love to have Kawhi back as well but Paul George as we saw with his years in Indiana is a guy who you know has has his moments in the playoffs so uh, the NBA playoffs are always great for me and um, I'm definitely interested to see what happens uh, waiting to see of course who my Celtics get in the first round uh, obviously I'd be pulling for Chicago because like I said earlier Chicago is not in a great space right now like I said confidence is kind of gone and I think that'd be a perfect team for them to get in the first round especially with them dealing with the Rob Williams injury although it seems like Rob Williams may come back a little sooner than thought, but I would still count him out for the first round and would want him to be ready to go second round when you're looking at a possible matchup against Milwaukee or I guess Philly's still in play there. So that's when you would really need Rob Williams to go you know, with Embiid in Philly or Giannis, you know, for Rob Williams to be another athletic big to have around the hoop to try to deter Giannis when he makes his drives to the rim. So it may be the end of the season, but there's still some stuff to be figured out. And this weekend's going to be crazy in the NBA, and I will be watching a lot of games, at least as much as I possibly can. So um, thank you for tuning in. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Uh, if you did, please let me know. Uh, you can obviously do that by hitting the like button, uh, share it with somebody, or subscribing, or going over to Twitter. Follow me at Chopping Podcast. Definitely love that as well. Um, so enjoy your day uh, wherever you are. Hopefully it's nice out. If it's not, still enjoy the day because hey. You know, another day beats the alternative. And I say that once again with you know, thoughts and prayers to Dwayne Haskins because that's, I mean, it's a terrible situation that happened with him. So uh, just remember that. And yeah. Life is just unpredictable like that. And you just got to deal with whatever you're going through and just cherish it and embrace it for what it is. That's all you can do. So um, uh, be safe out there. 
God bless, of course. And I will catch you in the next episode. All right. I'm out. Have a good one. Introducing Carvana Value Tracker, where you can track your car's value over time and learn what's driving it. It might make you excited. Whoa, didn't know my car was valued this high. It might make you nervous. Uh-oh, market's flooded. My car's value just dipped 2.3%. It might make you optimistic. Our low mileage is paying off. Our value's up. And it might make you realistic. Mm, car prices haven't gone up in a couple weeks. Maybe it's time to sell. But it will definitely make you an expert on your car's value. Carvana Value Tracker. Visit Carvana.com to start tracking your car's value today.